sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. CNN's ratings would be in the toilet without Donald Trump. Let's go to MSNBC. Is there a moment of the day when they are not focusing on Donald Trump or some intimately related subject? They've been trying to destroy Judge Kavanaugh since the very first second he was announced. If you stop and listen, you can practically hear the Democrats trying to move the goalposts on Judge Kavanaugh's nomination to the Supreme Court. Now, if the FBI concludes its investigation by today, we expect the Senate will hold a vote on confirming Judge Kavanaugh this weekend. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome back to the show. This hour, we have Carol Clemens, author, pastoral counselor, and founder of Life Enrichment Ministries. She's going to be with us talking about God's design for marriage. It's a handbook uh, that provides information about God's truth for marriage. And I am so excited to get to talk to her. I have so many questions, um, so many questions about her book and, and you know why she wrote it, all that good stuff. So that's going to be next segment right now. Um, I want to go into some of what you heard some little audio bits put together by producer extraordinaire Devin uh, coming into the top of this hour. And it's it's clear that something happened and it was President Trump. uh, He finally unleashed his inner, you know, um, truth thing and went after Christine Blasey Ford. Now, some people are saying he was doing so well. Why did he do this? Um, This is part of the Trump mystique where he just speaks from the hip and he, you know, calls things like he sees them and it infuriates some people and it revs other people up. It gets their blood pumping. And I'll tell you why, because they like to hear the truth. They like to hear the unvarnished truth. They like to hear the stuff that's rattling around in their brain coming out of the mouth of the president of the United States. And, And so it's kind of genius because it revs the base up. And if it makes other people mad, I don't really think the president cares. He doesn't seem to really care. Um, So here he is sending them. The liberals just have been melting down over this all day long. Here he is mocking Dr. Ford for the tone of her testimony. It's number one. What he's going through 36 years ago, this happened. I had one beer. Right? I had one beer. Well, do you think it was? Nope, it was one beer. Oh, good. How did you get home? I don't remember. How'd you get there? I don't remember. Where is the place? I don't remember. How many years ago was it? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. What neighborhood was it in? I don't know. Where's the house? I don't know. Upstairs, downstairs, where was it? I don't know. But I had one beer. That's the only thing I remember. And a man's life is in tatters. A man's life is shattered. His wife is shattered. His daughters, who are beautiful, incredible young kids, they destroy people. They want to destroy people. These are really evil people. Okay, so I listened to it a few times. I'm not going to lie. The first time I heard it, I kind of giggled a little bit. And then the second and third time I listened to it, 
was it was it required? No, it's not something he was required to say. But he's at a rally speaking to you know the it's it's inside chat, and um, I mean I said as much here on the show, so I don't really see why everybody's clutching their pearls and got their shock faces on. Like, so what? This is his opinion about what he heard. Are we now saying that he can't have his own opinion about what's going on here? It, it's, it has been hugely beneficial that he hasn't commented thus far, um, you know, very much. He's really kind of stayed out of the fray. But the comment there. Uh, so are we saying that we think it's normal for someone to say they can remember that they had one beer, but they can't remember anything else except that it was Kavanaugh? One beer. It was Kavanaugh. Don't ask me anything else because I, I don't know. That's how we that. I, no. We know that that's not the way it works. Your boss wouldn't take that from you. Your spouse wouldn't take that from you. Why weren't you home last night? I don't know. I I don't know how I got home. I don't know where I was. I was out all night. I don't know how I got home, but I do know this. I didn't do anything wrong. (laughs) Your spouse would be like, oh, really now? (laughs) Come on now. Let's, Let's get real here for a second. We have someone who claims that something terrible happened to them that they remember in great detail, but they don't remember how they got there or how they got home. Like the stuff that matters that goes along with it, they don't remember. Anything that could provide corroborating evidence, no memory. But we're supposed to believe this drama? I don't think so. I don't see what was wrong with what he said. I don't care what he said. I don't think there was anything wrong with what he said. You know, but that's me. Okay, so then... John Kennedy, senator, was talking about the tactics that have been used against Judge Kavanaugh, and he made a reference to people on the other side of the aisle from him not having a soul. It's number five. Well, I said, uh, if you think this is a search for the truth, you ought to put down the bomb. And it's true. This isn't about the truth anymore. This is about uh, just win, baby. Doesn't matter who gets destroyed. What Dr. Happens, Ford's in the way, yeah. destroyer. What, what happens today? Does the FBI wrap it up? And if so, when is the vote? I don't know. I think they're close, Bill. Keep in mind that we've already, and when I say we, the investigators on the Judiciary Committee have already done an investigation in addition to six other FBI background investigations. So I, I'm, I'm sure the FBI started with all of their prior work. They've, uh, I understand that they've devoted a lot of agents to it. Uh, they understand that time is important here because there's some people, not, I'm not saying all of our Democratic colleagues, but there's some people here who are in bad faith. They're not interested in the truth. They just want to stall and restall and restall and hoping that uh, Judge Kavanaugh will quit. But he's not going to quit. He's going to be confirmed. Um, as I told Mr. Carlson last night, some of my Democratic colleagues think that Judge Kavanaugh's a smoked turkey. He's not. You just watch. He will be confirmed and he'll get some Democratic votes. Hmm. He said he's not a smoked turkey. He's going to get uh, he's going to get confirmed. Now, yesterday, in case you're tuning in today and you are wondering what happened exactly Um, with the reporting yesterday from the New York Times and that hit piece they did on the Trump family. um, The only thing that I am willing to concede there is that look at the timing. Look at the timing of this piece that they're putting out this close to the election. 
Doesn't it sound like the New York Times is trying to impact the election um, for one side as opposed to the other? So doesn't that mean their reporting is biased and they're not really a news organization? They're an arm of the Democrats? Oh, you know, just asking. Just wondering what, what the reasoning is behind that. So there is some breaking news. Um, multiple people have been shot outside of a Philadelphia shopping mall. And apparently, I'm looking for the, the original story. NBC News was reporting that. Um, multiple people shot outside of a, uh, here it is. It's developing. A story is developing. A gunman shot multiple people outside of a shopping center in the Germantown section of Philadelphia. The victims were outside a Dollar General store on Germantown Avenue and Worcester Street around 3 p.m. Wednesday when the gunman opened fire. Victims were taken to the hospital. Officials have not yet revealed their conditions or a description of the suspect. The story is developing. Check back for updates. Okay, so that's all we have there. Um, and and I'll bring you more as uh, if if there is more, I'll bring you more during the hour here. Um, so I, I, the other thing I want to say, um, I've seen a bunch of people talking about this party's going to have a blue wave. This party's going to have a red wave. How 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 do y'all know? I mean, how does anyone know exactly what kind of wave there is or isn't going to be? I would suggest praying about who you're going to vote for. And then voting according to your biblical worldview. That's what I would suggest. Um, but in other news pertaining to the NFL, and I thought this was kind of fascinating. Fascinating. The Canucks player, one of the Canucks' players, has said that their team has a fortnight ban for the entire season. And this is in Vancouver, British Columbia. A day after Vancouver forward Bo Horvat said the Canucks have instituted a fortnight ban for the upcoming season. There was talk in NHL arenas about whether it was fair to blame the popular online game for performance on the ice. Oh, my goodness. So they're saying that the Canucks are blaming Fortnite for their poor performance because they did really badly, poorly last year. And so they're saying if we can give up our PlayStations, we're not going to take them on the road. But I, I guess my question is, so they can't get the players to stop playing Fortnite long enough to practice. These guys are paid to play this game. Um, so, I, you know, it is what it is. Their, their job is to play a physical game in real life. And they're not doing that because they're too busy playing a video game. A game that is literally taking over um, their lives. <laughs> do you see the irony in that? They play a game for a living and they're paid millions of dollars to do that, but they don't do that. They instead play a game for free and it's affecting their performance. It doesn't get much better than that. Um, so we've talked about all in the, all over the marketplace, there are different corrections that are being made. And, and some of those corrections have to do with, obviously you have Sears and Walmart closing more stores. Amazon is rising. Um, the, the other stores are kind of receding into the background as the landscape changes. And I, I also want to point out, so we're coming up on, I believe we're at four years now. It might be closer to maybe in the springtime. It'll be five years since we shopped at Target. And we don't shop there anymore because they allow men to utilize the same changing rooms and facilities as women and young girls. They refuse to allow separate changing facilities for, you know, by gender. 
And they used to have that. And, you know, Target has, has long been and is still, they market themselves to people like myself, you middle income households with children um, and where the, the mother is the primary purchaser of the retail items. And they have the stores set up in such a way that it just makes it so easy to go there and do all of the shopping. And we gave it up in, in a time where we were really finding a lot of things that we like to buy there. And we did that because of their decision about the bathrooms. And I assumed at the time, to be quite honest with you, I thought by now this would all be over. But instead, it has morphed into this, it's a contest of wills and they're not, get, they're not backing down. And remember, there aren't that many transgender people that you would want to sacrifice the kind of money they're sacrificing. And I'm not alone. I'm not an anomaly. There are so many millions of households who no longer shop at Target because of their decision about the bathrooms. Now, StacyOnTheRight.com, I have a running list of uh, these attacks that have occurred at Target. And the attacks are... Um, attacks against women and girls. And sometimes they're out in the, like right out in the open in the store. And other times they're literally in the bathrooms or in the changing rooms. And it has just been relentless. And I really need to double check and make sure that's completely updated. But I have a a running list of the ones that I found at Target. These are news stories from news websites and organizations. So it's, it's not, you know, blog posts by some person who said, I saw an attack. These are based on police reports that have been made. And It's important that we, so this is a decision that you have to make for yourself. But my question is, why would you spend copious amounts of money on retail items for your household at a store that places you and your children at risk of predators going after you in the store because of this new rule about the bathrooms? And and so that is, it's, it's like a crazy development. It's, it's, it's not okay for that to be the case. And I, I know a lot of people feel like, well, I still like shopping there and that's fine. You know what? You, I guess you're going to do whatever you want to do, but just remember that your retail dollars go in and they get spent and it validates the new policy that they have. And if you think about the people who are being victimized, it really kind of, it puts you on the side of saying, well, you know, just be more careful when you're in the target. It doesn't matter if you, if, you know, if guys can change with girls. I might, you know, my shopping preferences are above that. Just carefully consider if you want to be condoning that activity. Um, and you can find out more at AFR.net. We have a whole lot of information there for you. Okay. Go to UrbanFamilyTalk.com and stay right there. We'll be back with Carol Clemens right after this. Are you still stuck on the healthcare roller coaster? Still paying those high premiums? And strapped into huge deductibles? Not knowing what's around the next turn? Well, then let me tell you about a sound, sensible healthcare choice that really is affordable. It's MediShare, the healthcare sharing solution people like you have been trusting in for more than 25 years. MediShare members report saving around $500 a month on their healthcare costs, and they never pay for things they don't believe in. Time to say goodbye to that healthcare roller coaster and say hello to MediShare. Call star star 345 to find out how much you can save on your healthcare. MediShare. Call star star 345. Message and data rates may apply. 
That's star star three four five. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. America is a divided country. Os Guinness, in his book Last Call for Liberty, argues that the American Republic is suffering its greatest crisis since the Civil War, and he believes the root of this disagreement is two different definitions of freedom. One view of freedom is embodied in 1776 in the American Revolution. The other view arose in 1789 in the French Revolution. The first can be found in the Declaration of Independence that owes its formulation to the Protestant Reformation and even earlier in the Book of Exodus. The second can be found in France's Liberté, Egalité, Fraternité that ended in the Reign of Terror, to which we can add Marx's triumph of the proletariat and in the policies of Stalin and Mao Zedong. His book asks ten questions that make up the chapters of the book. When he was in the studio with me talking about his book, I mentioned that few Americans could answer the questions in the affirmative. He asked, do you know where your freedom comes from? Even fewer could offer good answers to questions like, how do you plan to sustain freedom? He also addresses the question, how will you make the world safe for diversity? Here we have two starkly different visions of public life. On the one side are proponents of what Richard John Newhouse called a naked public square that would exclude religion and religious expressions from public life. Proponents of a sacred public square would give preference to one religion. He advocates for a civil public square where citizens of all faiths are free to enter and engage public life on the basis of their faith. This book provides wise counsel on how Christians can be at the forefront of bringing America back to its proper understanding of freedom. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Thanks for being here today. It is Wednesday. Happy Wednesday to you. It's my pleasure to welcome our next guest, Carol Clemens, author of, and, uh, well, she's author of the book, God's Design for Marriage, and she's a pastoral counselor and founder of Life Enrichment Ministries. Carol, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you for the invitation. I'm excited about the opportunity, Stacey. Okay, so let's talk about this book. Um, the, yes. I went to the Amazon website. It says God's design for marriage is a handbook that provides God's truth on how to have a marriage that is God centered, that will be filled with love, joy, and peace. This is a treasure of wisdom for marriages and for premarital counseling. So why'd you write the book? Well, I wrote the book because I have been in ministry almost my whole life and I've been teaching the word of God for 50 years, but a pastoral counselor for 26 years. And the society today is based on families. And if families are broken, then the society is broken. And so my desire to write this book came out of teaching marriage and family classes at a college for six years and teaching marriage and family seminars, because we need our marriages strong, not only in the world, but we need them strong in the church. And so that's the basis of what I came out with this book from all the notes that I've been teaching from, and I thought, I need to make it a handbook because the majority of men are not good readers. It's usually the women that buy the books on marriage and they're begging their husbands to read the book. 
and the book can seem overwhelming. So I made the book smaller but packed full of scriptures because God does have the design for a blessed, fulfilled marriage. Mm. Okay, so I agree with you 100%. We need more people to read these manuals. Now, let's talk about how you kind of frame, because there's there's some biblical concepts that are really pilloried and, and just raked over the coals in, in modern America. And one of them is the biblical view of marriage in that the husband is the head and the wife is his helper and she is to be submitted to him and that respect that she shows to him is reciprocated by love that he shows to her and in that marriage bond with with Christ, you know, in the mix as well, that's the three person bond that replicates the Godhead, you have that perfect union that we see lacking so often in today's culture. Well, that's right. And, you know, the basis of that comes out of Ephesians, the fifth chapter. And uh, what even in the church we can get uh, distorted by not understanding the complete realm of that scripture regarding, yes, the husband is to be under Christ and the wife is to be under her husband. But she's under her husband because her husband loved her as Christ loved the church. Mm-hmm. And he gave himself for her. It's a sacrificial love. Mm-hmm. So when a husband is God-centered and loves his God more than he loves his wife, then he's going to be a very loving husband. And then the submission issue is that she will automatically flow under his leadership, his protection, his guidance and love, because he loves so much as Christ loves. Does that make some sense? It does. It makes total sense. But remember, it's not about making sense in the the natural. When we talk about what we see on television, which is the continual degradation of men, men are presented as buffoons. They're, They're made to, you know, we have to make fun of men. We have to make sure that people know that this man's not capable. He's not even someone that the kids want to take advice from or or rely on. And we see very few representations of strong, capable men who are also loving um, it, it's like they can't find comedy anywhere else but by, you know, picking on men. And so a lot of people have kind of internalized that. And even though they don't see, like, I don't know one man like that. The, so the, what's so funny about that representation being so ubiquitous is that I don't know any men like that. I've never met a man that was so bumbling and such an idiot as the ones that you see on television. Yet that's what they continually pipe into the kids. And I think it really impacts the little boys. Like the little boys are constantly wondering, why are all the dads on TV so dumb? My dad's not like that. You know, most dads aren't like that. And it also throws the the relationship out of whack. Like I see a lot of women in the more dominant role and people assume that that's the natural position for women to dominate over their husbands, but that's not godly, is it? No, it's not. But you know, the foundation for the dysfunction of the family really goes back to Adam and Eve in the garden. Mm-hmm. When Satan came along and tempted Eve, She had the power of influence, but Adam was given authority. And yet, under the influence of Satan influencing her, and the Bible says she was deceived, but Adam was not, but he abdicated his authority. And so that falls down in today. We have church-going men, and and there's a reason for this. We have church-going men that do not know how to be healthy, heads of their home. They do not know how to be the pastor of their home because it was not modeled for them. 
You know, I've been counseling 26 years, and I've had hundreds and hundreds of husbands tell me, now I'm talking about believers, you know, that have a relationship with God, and they say, I do not know how to be a husband. And so that's why the principles, and I bring it back in, if the husband is God-centered and he's hungry to know, we have to look to the Scripture to find out what is the format for the husband. And what is he to follow? And that's what I did in this book. I laid it out. It's just full of scriptures and commentary that is helping the husband and the wife to understand, because we're both going to be accountable to God. So I can see why we're where we are today, but God has the answers for that. He does. And so what do you what do you recommend? Like, So you do Christian counseling and you talk to couples. And most couples in today's kind of divorce culture, it's like, just get a new husband. And what people don't tell people who are going through divorce is they, what they don't say is the new husband will be very similar to the first. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, whatever it is that you're dealing with, with that new husband is going to be eerily similar to the original husband because you're still marrying a man, you know, so men are going to be similar. Now, now, obviously not all men are the same, but some of the same issues that you've experienced, some of the problems that you've had, those are going to be there. Those are going to be the same. So how do you talk to women about that when they're, it's better to repair the marriage they're in than to start over again, expecting something different? Oh, absolutely. There's, you know, about marriage, I say it this way, before we're married, we have a little red wagon behind us that we can throw all of our, and for the lack of a better word right at the moment, our junk in life into our little red wagon. And when we marry, we hook up those two little red wagons with all of our imperfections, and we bring them into the marriage. And so there's got to be healing in relationships. Say, for instance, the subject of sexual abuse for women. I have counseled so many thousands in the last 26 years that that issue in their young life, and even sexual abuse for men that can lead men into pornography. So we have, when I work with a couple, I start asking for their history. Tell me your history of your life as children growing up. What happened in that time? And then what, how did you come into a relationship with God? And then where are we now and how are these problems manifested in your life? So I have to work with every couple individually. It's not a cookie cutter type of counseling. It's looking at their life specifically and then helping them through the Word of God. The Bible tells us in Romans 12, 2, that we're transformed by renewing our mind. So if, it, if we're bringing in emotional uh, abuse or any type of abuse from our young life, we've got to get healing from that first and then try to bring the marriage together in healing. So you can see it's a lot deeper than just a simple, uh, at least the way I'm going to stop and say the way I counsel, I really focus on those two individuals, their background, what brought them into the marriage, their relationship with God, and then we start working one step at a time how to bring healing and growth to that relationship. And so have you seen a lot of success with, with using God's Word to bring couples back together and to heal their marriages? Well, absolutely, when they have a belief in God, because I strictly counsel from a Bible base, and I understand the secular issues of counseling, but to bring healing to anything, 
we've got to come back to the godly principles. You know, the simple principle of be ye kind one to another, Ephesians mm-hmm. 4.32, mm-hmm. tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. And we've got to bring, that's a command. That didn't say when you felt good, you'd be mm-hmm. forgiving or you'd be kind. So I just start teaching how to bring that in, and that, that really, there's a scripture in Ephesians 5.21 in the chapter that I use a lot of, and it says, submitting one to another in the fear of the Lord. That's a key scripture in working and helping a couple in marriage. Because if they're going to submit, first of all, to God, and then to each other, we can work through any type of conflict or hurt and pain in life because we are in submission to God and to each other. Mm, That is fantastic. Well, you know, I'm I'm excited whenever I hear that people are using God's word to heal marriages. And the reason that I'm excited about that is because a healed marriage is stronger and it's such a better example going forward than say, you know, saying, well, let's just scrap this and begin again. I I can't tell you how many people that I've met. And when you start talking about marriage, they'll say, you know, if they're having any difficulty and they're on their second marriage, they almost always say, it's some of the same problems that I had before in my first marriage. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm willing to stay and work it out. But I just wonder, you know, why wasn't I told that this, this would be the case. And so much of what we see going on in marriage stems from improper expectations from the, from the wife saying, you know, I want someone to rescue me. I want someone to make sure that I'm happy. I want someone to make me happy. I want someone to, you know, meet my every need. Well, there is no man who can accomplish those things. There's just oh, no man I totally alive. I agree with that. You hit yeah. on the subject that I talk on all the time when I'm, I, I teach and I write and I counsel. And if we're looking for another human being, whether we're the husband or the wife, Mm-hmm. And we're looking at that spouse and saying, you have to make me happy. That's impossible for another human being to be my happiness because yes. we're all imperfect. So my approach on that is to tell people, I want to help you grow in God for your, I, I want to change the word happy to joy, where your mm-hmm. deep joy is grounded in a relationship with God and the hope that we have in him that even goes beyond this life and his eternal life. But I've got my joy founded in God, and I'm going to be able to look at my spouse and say, we can share and share each other's joy, but we can't become each other's joy because both of us are imperfect. And it's a lot of responsibility for one person to be responsible for the joy of a whole nother human being, unless you're going to follow that person around and wait on them hand and foot, you can't do (laughs) it. You know what I mean? It's like, it's impossible. And I think a lot of these movies and, and things that we see, um, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to watch those romantic comedies, romantic movies, but they represent something that is, it's, it's supposed to be entertainment. It's not supposed to be what we're actually shooting for. And I think if people don't kind of get that through their head, that this is the real deal is we're all to be relying on Jesus Christ. And then- the spouse does that as well. And then you're able to find happiness together that stems from things that you're able to accomplish together, to work on together, but it's not the responsibility of one or the other to make the one happy. And it's, it's a hundred percent giving opportunity as well. I noticed that the more I'm willing to give to my husband to, uh, 
to assist him, to help him, to support him, the more he responds back with a loving attitude that enables me to receive things that I, I might be secretly hoping or longing that he would do. But the happiness well, quotient is not him. That's yeah. called sacrificial love. That's what I talk about. But another thing that I work with couples, if they have children, all of us has a soul that's going to live forever. And I challenge the couple, are you, what you do in front of your children will make a major effect on the decisions they're going to make about their relationship with God. Because we're the first, if I can call it, God was in on as parents. And so we are the ones that are representing godliness to them. But if we're in conflict and we're yelling and screaming and anger all the time, they're going to be totally confused what God is about. And it's called a distorted God concept, God or Father God concept. So I challenge marriage couples, are, you're going to be responsible to God for what you put into these young children. Because not their adult decisions, but what you put into them now and think about it, what you've got to change the conflict into resolutions with God being in the center of that. And I teach communication skills, reflective listening. Uh, most of us, when, when we're in a conflict, we're not really listening to what the other person is saying. We're in our mind already preparing our spontaneous answer because we want to stick up for ourselves. And uh, that is something, again, um, I, I say this, selfishness is really the root of all marital issues, mm. along with wounded hearts from childhood. But if I'm demanding my way in a conversation, and I want you to listen to me, and I want to be sure you hear me, but I'm not stopping and really listening to my spouse, then I'm in trouble as much as he or she is. I think there's a lot to be unpacked there. And the book, it sounds fantastic. It sounds the the counseling, all of it, it just sounds like it's so needed right now. And I, I want people to, um, to, to know how to get it. I'm going to put the link. Um, we were able to get a link from you for the page on Amazon where people can check it out and they can, you know, kind of read the, the blurb and kind of decide for themselves but it sounds like a wonderful effort thank you for the the work that you're doing to bring god back into marriages thank you so much for coming on the show today carol clemens well, author pastor sure thank you so much god bless you too okay we'll be back with more right after these messages This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. Innocent until proven guilty. Those words represent the core of America's Anglo-Saxon criminal justice system. Those words mean that an enemy or angry neighbor cannot accuse you of a crime and have you hauled off based upon their word alone. There must be enough probable cause present to warrant an investigation by an impartial body. If warranted, charges can be made and the defendant gets to examine all evidence gathered against them. At that point, free legal representation will be provided by the state to ensure that no one has to defend himself or herself alone. Then a jury of one's peers considers the accusations brought by the state and the defense's response. A unanimous vote is required to convict. We must not throw out this system to replace it with the one being foisted upon Judge Kavanaugh. He is forced to prove his innocence without due process 
in the court of public opinion. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. The Capital One commercial will forever be etched in the ear of the listener. What's in your wallet is a phrase that won't easily be forgotten. But this is not a Capital One plug. I want you to think about the people that are in your circle of influence. Who's in your circle is my new catchphrase. Simply because we don't think enough about the people or spirits that we allow into our personal space. Negativity is contagious and fatal. Misery loves company and it's fatal to your hopes and dreams. I think we all know someone who, no matter what good has happened, always has something negative to say. Ugh, that really bothers me. That bad attitude and that pessimistic spirit will only cause you to do the same. There's no room for doubt, especially if you're believing God to bring that vision to fruition. Now, this is not a license for you to be mean. It is, however, a license for you to assess who's in your circle and make the necessary adjustments. With the Heart for the Urban Family, I'm today's urban woman, Tony Johnson. Connect with us at urbanfamilytalk.com. This is Fox on Justice. Controversy once again over Florida's Stand Your Ground law. Michael Draca is accused of the shooting death of Marcus McLaughlin in a Clearwater parking lot in July. Draca tells police he got into a confrontation because McLaughlin and his girlfriend had parked in a handicapped spot. In a recorded interview with police, he said that's a pet peeve of his. Draca then tells officers McLaughlin pushed him to the ground. He's standing in front of me. As I come up, he's taking his step towards me. On the video, Draca gets on the ground to demonstrate his position. How close does he get to you before you fire the gun? Maybe to the front tire. And that's when he shot McLaughlin, and he claims he was within his legal right to defend himself. I did exactly what I thought I was supposed to be doing at that time, considering what was happening to myself. Draca is charged with manslaughter. He's free on bond awaiting trial. Marcus McLaughlin is dead. He leaves behind three children. With Fox on Justice, Hank Weindlum, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. The law requires you to tell the accused where it happened, when it happened, and to have corroboration that it did happen. My beef is not with Dr. Ford. I think she's been used and abused. My beef is with the Democratic Party who laid in wait, betrayed her trust, uh, who didn't tell her we'd go to California. My beef is with the fact that uh, they've done everything they can do to destroy his life. If you don't believe he's a gang rapist, if you don't believe he's a sexual predator, if you don't believe he's a stumbling, bumbling drunk, how about he doesn't have the temperament? This is the one that bothers me the most. He apologized to Amy Klobuchar for snapping at him, at her. Mm -hmm. What would you do if you were accused of all these things, had your life ruined? Here's what I think. Amy Klobuchar should apologize to Judge Kavanaugh and his family for being part of a schmear campaign I haven't seen in over 20 years in politics. Mm. That was some really good commentary from Lindsey Graham. And I know, I know that, you know, people didn't like that Judge Kavanaugh snapped at Amy Klobuchar, but the questions she was asking him were so infuriating. So I don't say it to excuse it because he apologized for it afterwards. But I do say, does she owe him an apology for making his nomination about the loss of control of the Supreme Court by the Democrats instead of making it about his fitness? His fitness should have been what this was about. So I'm renewing my call. Please, if you're if you're the praying type, please pray over Judge Kavanaugh and his family over your meals. 
and also allow uh, room for, you know, obviously pray for uh, Dr. Ford and her family that they would come to know the truth and for all of the whole process. And, and I saw reports that um, all of the members of the Senate have increased security. The protesters have actually been trained on how to verbally assault them when they're walking through the Senate building. I just still don't understand how, you know, the caller from the first hour said, how are they getting in there? How are they allowed to come into the building just to protest? I don't know. It seems like a really volatile situation that could go badly, very badly. Look at what's happened to Senator Rand Paul and others who've been assaulted uh, by these rogue lefty protesters. I, you know, so pray for the Fords, pray for the Kavanaugh's especially, and also for our country. We need some sanity. And so I was, uh, you know, we're, we're, I told you we were studying Joshua and it was a part of the discussion was the, the utter wickedness of the people who were living in the promised land. They had this outsized fruit and vegetables and every single thing, um, everything, just everything they could possibly want. Sound familiar? Like this country, we live in the land of milk and honey. We have every every resource, every available thing that you could possibly want we have it here in this country. And people are participating in the ritual sacrifice of, of babies on the altar of sexual convenience. And that's what they were doing. They were sacrificing babies and children to their quote unquote gods that they worship, their idols. And there was so much just wickedness in their land. And God gave them so long. Like think of the, all the time that the Israelites were in the wilderness. First of all, they found the promised land and then they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. So that was 40 extra years that those people in the promised land could have repented and turned to God and, and avoided utter destruction. There was an additional seven days that they marched around Jericho before they were destroyed, where they could have joined with Rahab and avoided destruction. But they did not. And so you end up with, you know, their utter and complete destruction. And so instead of looking at it and saying, oh, no, I'm so sad that that happened. The warning is for us. Ritual child sacrifice brings the wrath of God poured out without you know, in, not, without any, any holding back. Now, the Bible also says, you know, that he, in, in his mercy, he relents. He does not give to us the full measure of what we deserve because we're on the other side of the cross. And that is fantastic. It's such a blessing. But it doesn't mean we get to get away with it. It doesn't mean we get away with what we're seeing. Um. So first, I want to listen to this audio about McConnell talking about the protesters who are stalking the senators. He says they're not going to scare him off of his duty. And then we're going to go to uh, Psalm 40. Um, since we're talking about Judge Kavanaugh, we're going to discuss Psalm 40, King James Version. And uh, so let's listen to number six right now. It's McConnell. They've tried to bully and intimidate us. One of our colleagues and his family were effectively run out of a restaurant in recent days by these people. Another reported having protesters physically block his car door. And some have seen organized far-left protesters camp out at their homes. I'm not suggesting we're the victims here, Mr. President, but I want to make it clear to these people who are chasing my members around the hall here, or harassing them at the airports, 
or go into their homes will not be intimidated by these people. There is no chance in the world they're going to scare us out of doing our duty. I don't care how many members they chase, how many people they harass here in the halls. I want to make one thing perfectly clear. We will not be intimidated by these people. This is all part of the organized effort to delay, obstruct, and intimidate, including those of us who will be voting this week. Mm. And so I think they were encouraged by Flake, you know, kind of flaking out um, and pushing back the actual vote to give a week for this, you know, FBI investigation. And so they mobilized more forces to do more protesting. But you got to know, you know, most people have more fortitude than that. Flake actually went on television afterwards and said, well, the thing is, if this was an election year and I was still running, I never would have done that. But since I'm not, I can afford to do it. Really? So your integrity is only based on whether or not there's an election year? So that just tells you just how much we need to get Jeff Flake out of the Senate. He has to go. And so that's why nobody was really, really upset. There was no gnashing of teeth when Flake said he was leaving. It's not like conservatives around the country were like, oh, my goodness, we're losing. You know, we lost nothing there. We, we only stand to gain by any person who's a little more conservative than him taking his spot. Even if there's a Democrat there, we don't really lose anything because he acted like a Democrat 50 percent of the time or more. So now I want to go to Psalm 40. Um, and some people have, have commented that this is the psalm that they're praying over Judge Kavanaugh and his family. And it, it is excellent. You know, I'm partial to Psalm 19. But then again, the psalms are just a treasure trove of everyday living type information for you. Um, and the word of God is always appropriate. And it's always right there. So perfect for the situation. And so in this one, Psalm 40, King James, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. He has put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man that makes the Lord his trust and respects not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Come on. You, how awesome is it that God's word is so appropriate and applies to the situations exactly what we're going through in that moment? Okay, where was I? Oh. Many, O Lord, my God, are thy wonderful works, which you have done, and thy thoughts, which are to us word, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering you did not share, you did not desire. My ears you opened, burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, you know. It's, it's so good. This is how we fight back. We have a song at church um, they, that, we, that we sing. It's, this is how I fight my battles. It's in prayer 
and obedience and reading God's word. That's how we fight these battles. And make no mistake about it, it's a spiritual battle over whether or not we get to continue to sacrifice the unborn. And it, abortion doesn't end at the Supreme Court, but the end of taxpayer-funded abortion ends at the Supreme Court. The cases are already there in waiting. The time to strike is when the iron is hot and you have a president who will actually support a ruling like that instead of saying, we're just not going to uh, enforce that law like they did with the Defense of Marriage Act. That's what Barack Obama did. We're just not going to enforce that. Okay. All right. So we'll take some calls. We have a few minutes left in the show. If you'd like to call in, we are open. 866-963-2037. 866-963-2037. So a little bit of news from Blazy Ford's side. Margot Cleveland is writing over at USA Today, hardly a right-leaning outlet, that this is this emotional testimony basically amounts to an emotional performance and that focusing on her testimony reveals numerous inconsistencies in her narrative that the Supreme court nominee, Brett Kavanaugh actually assaulted her. Woo. Well, that's a mouthful to read over at the USA today. I don't mind telling you, I have, I, I can't believe I'm reading this here as a sex crimes prosecutor, Republican questioner, Rachel Mitchell said, you know, she's she's the kind who would know it when she sees it. And so there's a bunch of things that are um, changeable about this story. First of all, Ford's testimony is that the assault occurred in the summer of 1982 when she was 15. But her therapist notes and the text message that Ford sent to the Washington Post say otherwise. She said she'd been assaulted in the mid 80s. So 85, 86 Years later, the therapist notes state Ford had been the victim of an attempted rape in her late teens. By that time, Kavanaugh was attending Yale University. So for her to roll the attack back to 1982 means she wanted to have it during a time where Kavanaugh would be present. I mean, isn't that just too convenient? Her story changed in key ways. Uh, First of all, she said in her therapist notes, four boys had attempted to rape her. Now, in her July letter to Diane Feinstein, Ford again placed the number of individuals at the party at five and that the gathering included her and four other individuals. She identified the four by name, but those four were three boys and one girl. So herself, three boys and one girl. So how could four people attempt to rape her for boys if there were only three boys at the party? Finally, during her Senate testimony, Ford unequivocally stated that there were four boys. I remember specifically being there in addition to her friend, Leland Kaiser. See how often the story has changed? Another significant change in the scenario came when we're talking about the location of the party. She originally told Ford Blasey, Blasey Ford told the Washington Post that the attack took place at a house not far from the country club. But then when Mitchell revealed a map of relevant locations, and reminded Ford that she had described the attack as having occurred near the country club, not far away. Ford backtracked. She said, I would describe the house as, it, as it's somewhere between my house and the country club in that vicinity that's shown in your picture. Ford added that the country club was a 20-minute drive from her home. Hmm. Finally, Ford altered her description of the interior layout of the home and the details of the party and her escape. A short stairwell turned into a narrow stairwell. 
The gathering moved from a small family room where the kids drank beer instead of the living room through which she fled the house. Um, Ford said she could draw a floor plan, but the changes that she's discussing don't add up with what she has said in her therapist notes and then what she said in her note to the Washington Post. Do you see how this is all stacking up to be extremely convenient for her? It really is a situation where the credibility of what she's alleging is at issue. And it doesn't have to be, um, it doesn't have to be personal with, with the way that we're viewing Dr. Ford. She's a pawn. She's being used by the Democrats. She's being used in a way that, you know, when, when it's over, if it doesn't work, she just, she gets pushed out and there's, there's no more mention of her. They only trot the Clintons out now when they can use them for some, um, you know, some type of thing that, that, that they can validate. Like right now they have, Hil- they have Hillary Clinton's daughter, Chelsea Clinton, running around doing interviews, talking about the Kavanaugh allegations, and they're not asking her about the allegations against her father, Bill Clinton. You would think that no Clinton would ever be able to con- comment on sexual misconduct, yet they keep trotting out Chelsea like we don't get the irony there. All right. It's exhausting and I can't wait until it's over. But until it's over, I'm going to be praying and I encourage you to do the same. It'll keep us uplifted. It'll keep us from fainting at just that moment when we need to be strong and uh, and, and resilient. All right. God bless from the heartland. Have a great night. See you tomorrow.